From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. about to listen to our new show the groundsman conversations which is brought to you by sports digital sports digital is a cloud-based presentation platform for rights holders agencies and brands that brings your story to life within immersive exciting easy to create proposals and presentations used by more than 50 percent of teams in the top leagues in the u.s sports digital's technology enables partners to ditch powerpoint and keynote and create powerful presentations of their own that provide tracking analytics to help you understand the performance of your prospecting cutting through the crowded marketplace to win business. So go to sportsdigital.com to book your demo. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Groundsman. Joining me, as always, my two fellow slackers, Roger Mitchell and Giles Morgan. Roger, how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm exceptionally warm. It's getting quite ridiculous now, isn't it? I'm sweating like a Trojan. Now, to explain that to me. What is sweating like a Trojan? Well, I don't know. That's the phrase I've always used, um, even in the old non-PC days. Um, Is that a co- like a condom Trojan? or like? A, no, a, it's a, just a, like I'm just thinking of these poor buggers and that wooden horse in this kind of like <laughs> summer heat in Greece. They, they weren't fresh, were they? They weren't fresh. No, no. <laughs> Charles, Charles, just so the listeners can get the full experience, what are you sweating like tonight? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm sweating like a, a piece of... Slightly ripe kafili cheese. Excellent. Yeah. So, listeners, please feel free to write in and tell us what you're sweating <laughs> like. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to hear from you. Gentlemen, um, we've obviously got a chance for the three of us to have a chat, which we haven't for a while, and uh, I, I, I feel like we should probably rip the Band-Aid off and get into the golf first of all, because I have a funny feeling that the live golf uh, situation is going to be one of, the, one of the big points of discussion. But, um, Giles, before we get to that, is there anything that... Uh, you want to talk about before we get into live? Well, I've just been away um, on holiday in Greece, nothing to do with uh, with um, Roger's Trojan horse analogy and, and his sweat, which has meant I've sort of taken a rather glorious week off sport and just instead bobbed around in a boat and eating a lot of halloumi cheese. Um, and when you come back from holiday and you take a genuine break, it, you sort of, I don't know, you read the papers or whatever it is to sort of get up to speed. And it struck me that right now in sport, rather like as a mirror what's going on in the rest of the world economy, that sport is going through in different iterations all sorts of very, very fast pitch, rather dangerous bowling, which is kind of existential to where to where the industry would like it to be and where it actually is. And I'm, I'm thinking, and Rog, this will probably be closest to your heart, but, you know, suddenly it's been unveiled racism in cricket in Scotland with 448 cases of, of, of alleged racism in, 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 in cricket Scotland. You've seen the FA in, in England talking about, you know, banning pitch invasions that players are scared for their welfare and suddenly this is becoming a big thing in, in uh, rugby dementia has suddenly, the, the, the cases from some very, very high-profile players, former internationalists, people like Ryan Jones, who played for the British Lions in 2005, he has dementia, early-stage dementia, and World Rugby are, are potentially being sued. 
you've got controversy everywhere. You've got it with world athletics and the length of spikes. I mean, this is where control risks, our old friends, would be kind of champing at the bit because sport seems in tatters at the moment. And it, it, to me, it's just fascinating. You take your foot off the gas for a week, you come back, and it's bloody chaos. I saw that headline about uh, racism in Scottish cricket, and I was absolutely appalled. Mm. Roger, you, you've got a cricket team? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't you did labour that a little bit, let's be honest. Mike, I always use the, the, the name Mike Dennis whenever this comes up. Mike Dennis. But honestly, it's just the same as... Uh, Giles is right. You can call it a fourth turning. I know you love that phrase, Grant, and and um, whether it's these little incidents of of everything that Giles said or the bigger macro stuff, it is absolutely bouncing off the walls. And you know, I personally um, try hard not to have the snug, the smug smile. I try really hard, um, but uh, we are where we are, gents. And I am keen to to talk about the glorious, the glorious art of war tactics of Greg Norman to take the knees out of the captain of the Ryder Cup. I just love that because that is exactly what I would have done, and I would have got the American one as well. Well, let, well, okay. Well, let, let's talk about let's talk about Liv because I, I suspect a lot of the things that Giles brought up there will come out in that conversation because it's um. I, and I'm, I'm biased because I'm I'm a fan of golf, obviously. But I, to me, it's just it's the biggest story in sport at the moment, um, and I'm fascinated watching it. Charles, uh, obviously, you you know Keith uh, Keith Pelly, and um, you know Martin Slumbers very well. Uh, you and I have had a chance to chat with them uh, previously. Um, talk to us first about your experiences up at St Andrews when you were up there for the Open. Um, give us a bit of colour on the Open itself because it was. Fabulous spectator sport, um, sitting at home watching it on TV. But talk a little bit about what you saw and then and then let's get into any conversations you may have had up there because I'm sure the, the, the subject of live was on everybody's lips. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was on everybody's lips. And, of course, depending on your on your viewpoint, you were probably many people, the traditionists, were, were, were rooting for a, a Rory McIlroy triumph to sort of try and quell the dissenters. Um, the undercurrent was, well, thank God for the majors, Never have the majors looked so strong in a sport, and I would sort of revert, you know, invert that with where tennis is right now. Um, it, it feels that golf's future um, relies on the majors getting this right, and they've got some very smart people at each of the four majors who I hope will will guide the sport in the right way. Um, because you're right, I, I have worked ex- a lot. With, with the tours as well. I know Jay Monaghan very well, um, having done uh, World Golf Championship deals with him over many years. I know Keith, I know Guy Kinnings, who's also a friend of our show, and and he's head of the Ryder Cup, along with Seth War. And that 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 piece that I didn't see coming of Henrik um, being uh, take, taking live money um, has a serious implication, and I was a big leader about it in the paper, is the Ryder Cup is the most populous form of golf. You don't need to understand golf to understand the Ryder Cup. The majors, you you still, it's a bit like test match cricket. You need to know the nuances of it. So the golf fan understands the majors and where they sit, whether it's an Andrews and Open or the Masters or whatever. But Ryder Cup is, there's a real threat now. And the real threat being not just because Henrik has moved across is, the Ryder Cup only exists, and why the President's Cup didn't work so well, in my view, is that you had the best 12 players from Europe, unquestionably, based on picks, based on form, 
but that was the best 12 available to a captain versus the same from the United States. That now clearly is not going to be the case because the best players from both tours, they're not all available for selection. And that makes it an exhibition match. And you can call it in any way you like and say, well, they've decided to move on and therefore they were not available. But not necessarily the best players are playing. And when I hear... When I, I mean, I have a little bit of, uh, I don't know, just I, I remember my past. When I hear the very top players in the world saying, calling out other players for being greedy, oh my God, I have witnessed firsthand the greed of golfers and their managers like not many other people on the planet. And to hear this go full circle because it's a relative greed as opposed to who's being paid X, Y, and Z. It just does my head in. The whole game is structured on greed. And what I'm hoping now, because I am still a traditionist, but a traditionist maybe with a reforming sort of outlook, is A, for the majors to keep strong and to say, to be in this major, you have to be the best player, and that is the yardstick, whoever you are. And then for the tours, particularly for Jay Monaghan, particularly, and difficult for him sitting in Pontevedra, which is not the centre of the world. For those of you who haven't been to Jacksonville, it's right out in the middle of bloody nowhere. And everybody who sits in that swamp sort of thinks they are in the middle of the world, and they're not. And now they need to get into the middle of the world, and they now need to understand the words of kumbaya a little bit and and come together, because otherwise this one is going to run and run. And I am so pleased right now that I'm not having to figure out how to be involved in a sponsorship of of the PGA Tour or the European Tour because it's a fucking mess. Rog, you didn't try very hard to keep the smug smile off your face. I can't help it. The captain is just beautiful, um, beautiful there. No, no, but but let's let's get your take on it as well because, look, in fairness to you, you've, once again, you know, you've called this and a lot of what you suspected was going to happen came through. And you you wrote a fantastic Twitter thread last week, I think, maybe, maybe the week before, I'm not sure about all this. So so give us your thoughts on what Giles just said and then talk about that vision you had for how this is likely going to go. So I thought it was depressingly prophetic. And I, I as much as I hated it, I had to kind of nod my head and go, no, he's got a point here. Um, well, and there's not much I can add to what Giles said. You know I've got perhaps a little bit piously a real problem with half-pregnant morality. And, and I think Giles is alluding to that. Um, appearance money has been around for ages that said that said one thing I I do have an issue with is Henrik Stenson I do not believe you can take the honour of being made captain of the Ryder Cup and I remember there's been a few players in in these years that quite vocally complained that it wasn't given to them I'm thinking of Luke Donald I think he may be one that think something like that. So if you're given the honour of the Ryder Cup, and, and if I can say this, Seve's Ryder Cup captaincy uh, type thing, I don't think you are able to just walk away. And he came out with words of, oh, I don't understand this. I had arranged with Liv that they could still make me do I'm sure they did. There would have been nothing better they would have wanted to have the Ryder Cup captain playing on the Liv Tour. I mean, his, his PR and comms again. I mean, really, who is occupying this profession in, in, in sport these days? Because it truly is amateur hour. 
So I have an issue with Stenson. He should have just bitten the bullet and just said, no, I can't do it. I was given this honour and I think this honour is more important. He went for the money, clearly went for the money. Now, and then, you know, I, I would come back to our friend who I, I love dearly, uh, Eddie Pepperow. I love him dearly because he is a proper thinking, decent man. And the reason I find him wrong is because he lives in a world that isn't the way he hopes it is. And he still hangs on to the idea that the world is a nice place. He's young enough to not have had all the disappointments that you see in life where you see the Henrik Stensons, one after the other, that you think are good guys, eventually disappoint you. I think Eddie is suffering badly personally because of the deepness of his personality for what is going on around him. And, and, and you know, I did try and say to him a couple of times, you think too much, you're, you're too deep, um, move on. So that's the kind of like thing I would say about Giles' stuff. In general, it's going the way it's going to go. Um, it's going to the, t- the top stars. Uh, it's going to the box office. The rest of it, I think, is going to be based around much more about uh, match play, uh, about celebrities, about good-looking influencer golfers. And I think the tech is going to allow uh, Top Golf to insert Joe Public in a way that makes uh, golf perhaps a competitor to the role that 10-pin bowling had in the cultural connection. So I'm afraid I see the tours as done, Grant. Well, let's unpack that bit, because it, it, say the, the thread that you put in, Rog, was superb, and if anyone hasn't seen it, they should, um, they should dig that out of your Twitter feed, because it was, it was really thought-provoking. But Giles, you, you, when we talk about Live Golf, Roger's been very consistent with his thoughts about where the future of sport is going, and that the roadmap he lays out for golf is compelling within the context of how Roger has long said this was all going to go. But let's talk about the Open. Let's talk about what we saw. And yes, I, I know this is a major championship, it's not the Tour, but let's talk about 72 holes, stroke play events, where the best people in the world, where there are trophies on the line. And if you surveyed 100 people at St Andrews and asked them what the winner's check was, I guarantee you 95 of them couldn't tell you. If you survey everybody watching Live, 95 of them will know, all they'll know about it is that the winner gets $4 million, right? That's it. So I'm sure you've spoken to Keith and Guy and um, Jay and all these guys about this stuff. So if you're in that position of having to defend yourself against Live, and you have the tools at your disposal. I know you said at the beginning, thank God you don't have to come up with this, but we're going to put you on the spot in a, in a theoretical way. What do you do? Because to me, it all comes down to these official world golf rankings. If the Live Tour gets official golf world ranking points, this argument's over. If they don't, and it's hard how you can get world ranking points playing in a 40-man limited field, three-day shotgun event. I, I, it's tough to see how you can reconcile the two. Talk to me about how you would perhaps try and fend off this live golf attack. Well, you, you've absolutely nailed, I think, what the, the best um, defence and attack is for the traditional tours and indeed the majors and indeed ergo the Ryder Cup, all of which rely on um, the Omega, Omega World Golf Rankings, OWGR as they're called in the industry. And having put on, I don't know, 65 tournaments on either the European or the the PGA Tour, 
we had to assemble fields as HSBC. So sorry to our listeners. I'm sort of going to go back into my old world of HSBC head of sponsorship. When no, it's, 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 it's great when, insight for us. When HSBC was very much the dominant international sponsor of the sport. And the way that one would pick a field or assemble a field with IMG very often, but not always, they're the great promoters that they are, is that the qualification criteria for those tournaments, let alone sponsor picks or anything else, were based on golf rankings. So that you could say in a kind of um, posturing way, particularly if you're taking in an exhibition World Golf Championship event to Shanghai, where let's be honest, not many people in Shanghai give a shit about golf, whatever HSBC say, they don't. But there's the kind of the the absolute shining kind of crown that says this is a global sport. So how do you convince the Chinese public to think that this could be worth even remotely looking at? And it was all down to OWGR. Who are the best players coming? That has got to be the yardstick for success. And that's where Ryder Cup comes from as well. You get your selection, you earn it and be there. So I, again, don't, I'm not privy to what's going on behind the scenes, but the best defence and therefore attack that the tours have, if they can muster this, is to say that golf rankings cannot um, exist in full or in a very diluted way for live events, perhaps because it's not um, 72 holes, perhaps because it's shotgun over, uh, etc. So there's a there's a kind of nuance to it. Well, and you've got 40-man fields. And 40-man fields. Yeah. Ergo- and, and let's face it, 30 of them are, are you know, let's call them subpar golfers. Johnny uh, To use a literal term. It, it, <laughs> exactly. could be good or bad. So you rely on the strength of it because ultimately any sport has to be about the best of the best playing against each other because we as the fan want to know in a, in a fight who were the two best fighters and who came out on top. That's kind of how human being psyche works. So I think there's that is that, that they have to fight and I'm sure they are. Gosh, we're just speculating. But the second thing is, and I've been quite shocked and I say this as someone who has spent 12, 13 years putting on golf tournaments and sporting events around the world in markets where there is not a huge um, interest in those sports. I HSBC was exporting these sports to new markets, right? Because that's what HSBC, then being the world's local bank, wanted to put flags in different parts of the world. I have been really shocked, and I haven't seen the events in America, and obviously there are more to come, but the live event in, in the UK was just... I mean, some people I've heard say it was quite good. It was quite interesting. You know, the red arrows came over. It was bollocks. It was was absolute bollocks. And I cannot believe that for all the money that sits, presumably under the sand in Saudi Arabia, that comes out and to spend money, all that money on golfers, why wouldn't you spend it on a decent promotion agency who knows how to do this stuff properly? And people, as Rog says, with decent communication people, with decent event people, people who are thinking outside the box. It's, I promise you, I saw events on the Asian tour in places I can't even pronounce that were better staged than what I saw at Live. And I don't, I, again, some people will, will disagree with me. Now, the problem is the European tour don't have that many events of that great high quality compared to how, the, how they used to. But they do have things like the BMW Championship at Wentworth, which are bloody great big spectator events where if you go, you feel you're part of an occasion. And there are lots of crowds there watching, going up and down that nice part of Virginia water. And that looks good on telly. 
and you need to have the crowd so it looked good on telly. Looked good on telly. Excuse me. So for me, the two the bits I would be doing is saying, right, how are we going to make this event look and feel bigger and better? And again, that's what the European Tour will be trying to do later on in the year with some of their more flagship events. The PGA Tour really need to think about that. And the and the Open, which has obviously got nothing to do with either tour, was a reminder that people do turn out for big events. They really do. I mean, St Andrews was mobbed. It was extraordinary. It was a proper celebration of 150 years of one of the greatest sporting events in the world at its spiritual home. So it was very special, and you were kind of aware of that. And then I think this defence, which is what your point, Grant, which is the, the, the golf rankings are the only defence now left. So use it. And I imagine they're all locked in indoors. See, but can I ask you, Giles and, and Grant especially, what are you defending? You know, and from which perspective are you on the ramparts? Because I get the defence if you are the tours, if you are um, those two people, Keith and Jay Monahan. If I am instead the majors, I'm not sure I'm bothered because, frankly, as Joe said at the very start of the show, the death and the the demise of the tours does nothing but heighten the importance of the majors. So, Grant, I'm asking you, is it just about you associating the game with the tours or... If you were sitting at the RNA, would you be more Machiavellian, like I'm suggesting, and just saying, I hope they all go down because it's only going to be good for me? I take your point, Rog, but I don't think that's necessarily the right comparison to make. Look, golf is and always has been a game that focuses around tradition. And and we can talk about tradition and how tradition moves on and and all that stuff. And And I understand your points about that, how things have to be updated. But golf as a game has been built around tradition. And the rules and the format and everything has been pretty much the same for 100 years. You know, they've, been, they've tweaked the rules here and they had a new rule there every year. You know, they've, they've taken away some of the stupid rules about divots and whatever. But generally speaking, the rules are the same. And the majors for my entire lifetime have always built their promotional and their emotional connection with the fans around tradition the 100th US Open, the 108th US Open, the 150th Open at St Andrews, the welcome to the playing of the 48th Masters, right? There's tradition there. And and I think the guardians of those tournaments, the guardians of that tradition are not millennials, right? I think they still, the tradition matters to them. They're still of an age where the tradition matters. They're not like, you are, and like a lot of people on the cutting edge are, determined to shake sport up and bring it into the 21st century. But I'm not suggesting any changes to the majors. I would double down. I would double down on the tradition. No, but Raj, if if you're the British Open or the Masters or the the US Open, there's no, this gets better, this is so much better for us. They're the pinnacle of the game. And And they will always be the pinnacle of the game, right? So does it help them? It gives them a little bit more power, I guess, in terms of deciding winners and losers. But everyone has played their careers up until now to win, to get into and win majors. That's why you get people going to open qualifying, right? Every amateur 
worth his salt, wants to qualify for a US Open. Yeah, we discussed that. I, I, I think that could be strengthened. Maybe it can. But my point is that I don't think that the, the majors are going to sit there and go, this is so good for us. Because they are at the peak of the game and they will continue. Well, well, and that's see, what this fight is all about. Well, you see, I just think this tradition card, if that's the card, well, it's, we, are, we, we, we are just the cream on top of this beautiful traditional cake that is, is the tours. So we must protect the tours. So we're only going to take ranking points from the tours. I, I think that is a suicide note. Um, I, I, Roger, it may be, but... But, if but, you, but let me but, say this, this Grant, don't point. forget... But, no, Roger, Roger, this is my, just listen yeah. to my point, listen to my point, listen to my point. If we had a 30-something commissioner of the PGA Tour mm-hmm. or an early 40-something commissioner of the PGA Tour and the head of the RNA was a Harvard grad who was, who was you know, in his late 30s, different story. I think this Live Golf and everything it stands for in terms of bling and pizzazz and money has come along at the wrong time for where the majors are. And I think they've got their timing wrong. If a new generation of people were at the top of the game in the majors who might be more open to this kind of approach, hey, let's jazz it up and cut it down and make it funky and have fireworks on the first tee and all this stuff. I'm not saying any of that for the majors. Maybe. And the majors don't get any of that grant. I'm just saying... No, I know they don't. But what I'm saying is keep it that way. Keep it that way. Just double down on that. Make it so different from the thing that I said in that Twitter thread about how, let's call the words, you know, squalid, you know, uh, fickle, uh, um, all that kind of stuff that I say sells these days in the media sector. The opportunity is for the majors to double down on the old school and and make themselves, they, they don't need to tour. The tour needs them. They don't need to tour. And then last thing I wanted to say, Grant, this thing about tradition that all the golfers, and by the way, they are mainly, as you say, it's a generational thing. All the tradition in golf isn't great, you know. When did they stop having the black caddies at Augusta? You know, how many clubs uh, in America and, and the UK have discriminated against Catholics and Jews and blacks? You know, this isn't a sport that can shine the, the, the beautiful white shield and say, I must defend this. Tradition, and they had those things ripped away from them because it wasn't acceptable in society anymore. I don't understand why they're still playing this card. They should just take the best of it and, and as I say, make it for the majors and let the market deal with the rest. And, and you know what the market will do. It's in that thread. It's been on here for four years. I don't see what the problem is, apart from, as you say, old boys protecting old boys. That You said that's what it was uh, two minutes ago. Yeah. But, but Roger, it, it, it's a really interesting point. But if you, if you talk about that and you talk about the, the, the kind of darker side of tradition, then let's, let's talk about sport washing. Let's talk about what the Saudis are trying to do here, right? Let's talk about... Mm-hmm. You know, press conference where people are talking about good journalism in, in the shadow of, of Jamal Khashoggi, right? So I think that's a, a spurious... No, it's not. It's, no, it's, it's me saying I never, I never play that card. I've never mentioned this card before, but if, you, if people start using it, I call it out, half-pregnant morality. You can't no, no, do no, that. You're, you're absolutely right. I never use but that I, card. I just... I, I just I just think that, and Giles, I'll be interested in your view on this. I think the the timing, not just in a sports context, with coming in and throwing 
two, I think the rumor is that Greg Norman's got a $2 billion war chest for Liv. Coming in and throwing the kind of numbers around and getting so much publicity around those kind of numbers at this particular time is potentially going to be Liv's undoing. Because I think when you're starting to talk about paying golfers $100 million just to turn up at a time when you know, people are really struggling in terms of the cost of living and that kind of stuff, I think there's a there's a taint to live that is a is a big big problem for. I think Norman's a problem for them. I think he's a he's a very poor face for the for the enterprise. I think the money thing is a problem for them. Now I'm not saying it's these are things they can't come, go away, rethink, and come back and change. But my point is, I think they have to because I think the way this thing is at the moment, I don't think it works because it, it just looks and smells and feels so wrong. Well, and, and I, I agree with you, that, and it's sort of my point about why I was so surprised about how little money has clearly been invested on the people who are putting this new circus on. Had they done it properly, had they really thought through who they were going to hire, to not the golfers, which does smack to me of just greed beyond greed, which maybe is just a mirror of the world we live in. So maybe sport only ever reflects the society of the time and we live in the world's greediest moment. And it's sort of, I feel that, I don't know, I keep sort of feeling that we're sort of going back to biblical times and Jonah and all the rest of it, and sort of so much greed and nasty cities and all the rest of it. But let's not go too biblical. Um but I feel that where Liv have got it so wrong is you've got this morally redundant approach, which is just throw money at a time when you're right, the world is really on fire, literally in this country, in, in the UK, where we're getting hotter and hotter um, and unable to cope. So that looks like greedy and out of touch. And at the same time, what they, you know, when these golfers are talking about, well, I'm doing it to help grow the game, rubbish. If they were to grow the game, where's the investment into growing the game? I think Liv had a wonderful opportunity. Had they swept up the LPGA? Had they swept up a whole lot of grassroots? Had they created the world's greatest sporting events of society, community, maybe brought in Top Golf to do exhibitions in different ways, Rog, to your point, which is here's golf reimagined on a range for spectators. Here's golf played with men and women playing together and kids and mm -hmm. grandparents coming together. That's when it all ends up. And then the main show being the golfers on there, I think that would have been a very, very strong and very, because given the deep pockets that Norman reputedly has through the fund, that could have been very dangerous. I think that the greatest error in the, the live approach has been one that I agree that the timing has not been right in a global society. And secondly, on a really simple level, maybe it's been real comedy circus. I mean, but... Barnum would have just, or Bailey, no, Barnum, he would have laughed his head off. This wasn't proper marketing. It's it's just throw money at the problem without any real thought about what they're trying to achieve. At the same time, I think the tours, particularly in the early stage, when all of this was being mooted, they just shut the gate on, on Liv, never listened to them, never took the approach. And as a result, they've seen there's a very, very big army in front of them. It's all going back to the gates of Troy. I can't believe it. We're talking Trojan Wars. But that's what's happened. And 
it's going to be a very ugly fight now. And golf is not going to be the benefactor of it because Ryder Cup is going to be weakened or looks like it's going to be weakened for the for the next series or, or so. People are asking who's moving, who's not jumping. I understand a Lee Westwood taking the money and going. I actually quite appreciate. I, we obviously know Lee well on this on this show. Mm-hmm. He's been very open about it. He's forty eight years old. He's not going to win a major, he, probably. And someone's offering him a silly amount of money. He'll take it. And he pretty much called that. And I can that makes him an exhibition golfer in my view. Fine. Be like Barami at tennis and do fancy serves with backspin. And I'll watch that at the Albert Hall. And I'll take some friends and drink champagne and know that I'm not really going to a sports event. I'm going to an entertainment thing. And it's fine as far as it goes. But if I want to watch the quickest bowler in the world playing the best bats facing you know charging in against the best batsman in the world or the best tennis player serve against the best tennis player I want the best of the best and that's what the tours should have protected and it's what the majors are going to have to protect now but it's really unraveled and it's um an absolute clusterfuck right now so Roger let me turn the question I asked Giles onto you because you I say you as much as it pains me you've had such a great handle on this so let's put let's put Jay Monaghan's hat on your head. Mm-hmm. If you are, if you are looking to repel, live. First of all, do you? Because your your answer is probably no, no, no. If you can't beat them, join them. But I'm, I'm curious to hear what you do if you were running with tours now. Well, and I know this doesn't sound right because it, it talks business and then it talks entertainment and then everybody, a lot of people that listen to this and, and you two guys talk about sport as some kind of like philosophical ideal that's beyond business and beyond entertainment. Um, I would start with business. I would say, what's the product market fit? If, I, if I'm Jay Monaghan, right, I need to defend this. Um, uh, the first thing I, 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 I think is the format is wrong. Um, so am I prepared to change the 72 holes? Um, probably not. Probably not, because I think that is kind of like falling on your sword a little bit. Um, am I prepared to represent a body of players that eighty percent of which I know do nothing for my product market fit and do nothing for my uh, appeal as an entertainment product? I think I would probably, sadly, have to cut them loose, um, and I would focus. Always, you know, when you're in trouble, what you do is you concentrate your resources on on something you can defend. You don't try and defend the whole blue thin line. Um, I would take my events, the the ones that I thought were really something pretty close to a major, and I would um, change the field. I would do away with the ranking points completely. I'm sorry, I'm I'm going invitational. Um, so I would make those events much more interesting. I would make them mixed. Um, I would desperately try and do a deal with Top Golf, where um, the people that are playing with Top Golf through modern tech can, in some way, feel as if they're playing those events, or maybe trying to qualify for those events, and in some way get to the make the cut and all that kind of like stuff. Um, and I would concentrate on making a product that I think would be appealing to sponsors and broadcasters and I the price for that would fall on the 80% of journeyman pros that are adding nothing to my entertainment appeal 
It would be something like that. But I mean, listen, I, I would need a lot of time, Grant, but it would be more or less that. But you, so, you, so basically what you would do is essentially create your own live golf, right? You're going to change the nature of the events. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're going to sh- cut down the field. Uh-huh. I don't think I would give up 72 because I, I, I think that then you're just conceding and you're just... You're giving away the advantage in tradition, and in terms of brand, you're best to hold on to what is your differentiator. Well, I, ha- I think what you're saying there, Roger, is interesting. I think one of the biggest disconnects, and yet one of the greatest strengths about the game of golf globally, is that around about 80 million people play the game, of which about 15 to 20 million are probably in the certainly Grant and probably you, Rogers thing. And they pay a certain amount of times every month and they're keen on it to, to a greater or lesser extent in terms of their ability, but they're mad about golf. And they are the true golf fan. Now, if you can connect the, the and golf player, you know, and in terms of actually someone who is an amateur golfer, I always felt that there was a massive disconnect until Top Golf came along between the person who enjoys playing golf casually whether it's in a range or out as a membership and what goes on on the fairway with these extraordinary titans male and female of golf of which i was very lucky enough to play in about 50 60 pro-ams with the world's greatest players and they are astonishing technology exists through top golf through clipped through the awesome people we know and have talked about in the past to create that bridge that says i think so you you passionate golfer player are also, by definition, a fan of the professional game because the the stats prove that out. If you play golf yourself, you follow golf at a professional level. There is an interest. Make that connection stronger, which plays slightly, Grant, into your tradition piece, which is to say most of us did learn the game of golf and the etiquette and the rules and the self-regulation and all the good bits of golf that exist, as well as the kind of... um, carnal excitement of smashing a driver and feeling what that feels Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. to smash the ball miles and then realizing you're still 95 yards short of a pro who played with a pitching wedge or whatever it may be yeah but make that emotional connection and the tours have that ability because they've got the infrastructure and they've got that there's the technology already exists they've also got many many years of putting on various golf business forums etc but the schism that has existed between the professional game and the rest of the game has not really been put together the RNA and the USGA have done it a bit but if the game wants to fix the fissure that's where I would start I would make that connection between the amateur and the professional, and I think that the moral high ground, even though both you can argue, Rog, to your point, there's not been, it's not been universal morality in the game of golf, but if you want to take the moral high ground, the tours have that ability working in conjunction with the majors to say, we are going to make this the most universal sport in the world, built on a history and tradition, but now in a modern and technological world, world of which players like Top Golf have shown the way. I mean, you know, there are, there are I think, something like 10,000 golf ranges in Korea and very, very few golf courses. It's a, it's a, it is a digital game, but That's still, where the future it's is. golf. But that and is if where you the can create is. that um, infrastructure, that's where I'd be investing. Sorry, I rambled there, but I, I want the tours to win because I like the tradition and I happen to know a lot of them very well. But I don't think on either side, I think there's been some some big gaps and retrospe- you know, it's very easy retrospectively to to criticise. What's irritating, Roger, is you were calling it before this happened. As he always um, does, in that annoying, uh, smug so. Scottish way. <laughs> but listen, let, let me ask you something. 
you know, you, me, and uh, a friend of the show and former guest of the show, Colin uh, O'Donnell, had a little chat going through the open. And, you know, we're going backwards and forwards talking about it, as we as we tend to do. And, you know, a, a thought occurred to me as we were watching it, because Colin and I see it very differently to you, as you know. And you made a lot of good points in that chat we had going. But I wrote at one point, I, a kind of light bulb went off in my head, and I want to talk to you about this. I'm curious to get your thoughts on it, Giles, as well. And I, and I said to you, Roger, because Colin and I see things the same way, and you didn't. And you were talking about you were going to tune in for the back nine on Sunday of the Open because you know, it wasn't worth watching. Until then. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas Colin and I were sat glued in front of the whole thing. And it made me realize that as far as the Open was concerned, I realized that Colin and I are golf fans, and you're a sports fan. And I think there's a difference. I don't think you're a golf fan. I don't think you sit and watch 72 holes of a, of a major championship. No. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I'm interested to get... I'm not a tennis fan no, either. And, I, and I'll tell right. you a secret. I don't even think I'm a football fan right. either anymore. Yeah. It's a bizarre thing. It's very Grant. interesting. I'm in... It is, it is an interesting point. I am only interested in the box office, even in football. Yeah, and, and I, I made that joke to Colin, saying, you know, he's, he's a football fan, and even then he's a Celtic fan, and even then he's probably only an extra time yeah. penalty Celtic fan. But I'm interested in this. It, it really got me thinking this, about the difference between a fan of a sport and a sports fan. Somebody just likes watching competition but wants the excitement. And, I, and, and I'm the same as you. I realise, I'm the same as you. If I'm watching a game that I'm not, like the cricket, right? I'm not like Giles, a huge cricket fan. But did I watch the one-day final when England were playing the Kiwis last year? Absolutely I did, and it was gripping, absolutely riveting, loved it. Have I watched another cricket game since? No, I haven't, because it wasn't, there was no jeopardy, there was no excitement. So I, I get that that side of it, where you're, you're a fan of competition at an elite level, you're a fan of excitement, you're a fan of drama, you're a fan of box office, as you put it. But... If you're a fan of the sport, if you're a golf fan, you are sitting watching the Players' Championship in March. And you're not just watching the four majors. You're watching Hilton Head because it's a great tournament. You're watching the Scottish Open. Yeah, but Grant, that's not enough of you. That's no, no, and that's, you, that's my question, Roger. Is, is, it's is as that, simple as is that. that. It's, uh, it's honourable. It's just it's a small, totally no, no, small no, no, market. I agree, but, but, and but it's this dying. Is my, this, is my, this is my question. I'll get to it at some point, I'm sure. Is every sport has this, right? Every sport has diehard fans of that sport who play the sport themselves, who watch it, who know all the players, who know all the stats, who love the game. And there are casual sports fans who are attracted to whatever the shiny new sport is and whatever the fireworks you can drum up around it. And it comes back to that age-old question that we've gone backwards and forwards on in terms of the, the, the sense it makes to cater to sports fans if you're a golf administrator. And I think I know what you're going to say, but I'm curious to hear it within the context of that differentiation between a, a, a golf fan and a sports fan. Listen, for me, again, it's just very simple. Uh, um, you know, you put yourself in that CEO's seat and you transfer yourself forward, let's say, 10 years. You could even do it five at the pace of today, but let's say 10 and you say, what port will I have taken the ship of golf, of sport, into in 10 years' time? And you need to answer that question. There's no alternative to be looking at what's beyond you and Colin O'Donnell. There's no alternative. It's what um, Corey said in the last show. What else are you going to do? Now, the reality, Grant, that you... The, 
I understand why you say this. You're making a, a, a cute distinction. It's intellectually very nice between a, a sports fan and a fan of sport and an avid fan and not. But the thing is, you stay in sport as the competition. You know, for the modern audience, sport is only one of the many things that they can spend time on. So for sport to really get an avid fan, it has to attract them in a way that beats everything else. And if I put go forward 10 years' time, is 72-hole golf that doesn't have a winner until the last two hours on a Sunday afternoon in any way going to compete with everything else that they are doing today connected to the umbilical cord of their mobile phone? The answer is patently no. No fucking chance. It's not even close, Grant. It's not even close. So, you know, this is why I get so angry with the Jays and even the Keiths, you know, because... I don't want them to win. I want them to lose really badly because they deserve it. They had their head in the sand. People like me and others like me, they kind of like guffawed them away for years and years and years, just like the music industry did when Napster came along. I've seen this film. I know how it ends. And they deserve it. And for them now to be whinging about the families of 9-11 and this is a disgrace to America, brackets when Biden's going to shake the hand of the... The, the, the shake at the same time. It's pathetic. Jilo, sports fan versus fan of sport. What's your thought on that? Well, it's probably not quite as vehement as Rog, but I do enjoy sitting back in this very comfortable armchair, which I have at my desk, and just letting Rod... I mean, can't wait for Lake Como. I think we just need to get Roger a little a little armchair like Ronnie Corbett used to have <laughs> on the two Ronnies. <laughs> just let, That's a shortest let, joke. That's a shortest joke. No, no, it's, it a glass, it's a glasses joke. It's a glasses joke. Yeah, and a yeah, Scottish sure accent. Sure it is. Sure it is. <laughs> no, I, I think that all sports, and Roger's, what Roger is absolutely right on, in my view, is that all sports have to understand how to engage both existing audiences, which is the tradition and the heritage, but at the same time, embrace new. So for me, it was very interesting last year, uh, going to the home of cricket, Lord's Cricket Ground, uh, where the, the membership of MCC, uh, uh, the Egg and Bacon Brigade, that I call myself a proud member of as well, to watch the 100 with women and men playing, with young kids playing, with rock music and a live guitarist playing and social media going bonkers, really trying to change the status quo to say this is modern cricket, this is cricket reimagined. I was really excited by it. And interestingly, as I stood at the bar at the top of the pavilion in the Erie, the greatest bar in the world, looking down on, the, in, for me, the greatest sports ground in the world, I was really chuffed and surprised and pleased how many members were really excited about what they were seeing. It wasn't the spluttering gravy on their ties. They were going, this is great, this is new. Keep Test Match cricket as is, but this stuff, this is good, this is invigorating, and this is stuff that my children, my grandchildren might enjoy. So I think there's a progression. But you have to therefore take a broader appeal, which is sort of what I was saying earlier too, which is engage the golf fan I, the golfer and the golf fan, but also to take a broader appeal, which is to look beyond just the golf fan and say, who's the binary sports fan who can understand excitement and try and sell the wares of that sport? And that means changing format. 
to the point of not every event can be four days and as you, as rog you say the last two hours are is the is the climatic big reveal when often it isn't and someone's won two and a half hours really 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 it's a damn score but it reminds me even the the world match play that hsbc used to sponsor which um, i pulled us out of and i pulled it out of for the very simple reason in 2008, Paul Casey, who's gone to live, but Paul's a good lad, and um, he won, you'll remember this, Grant, he won on the 14th hole at, uh, at Wentworth in 2008, the last HSBC World Match Play, which was fine, right? He plays, supposed to play 36 holes, he absolutely gubbed the oppo. The only trouble was that we'd built a marquee on the 18th for 3,000 of our best clients at HSBC, none of whom got to see the, the denouement because it had happened five holes before. And a CEO of the bank at the time said, what, how much did that did that marquee cost? And I told him it was quite a lot of money. And we'd, the year before, we'd had Tiger Woods playing, and that cost quite a lot of money. He said, I don't think we're getting value for money. Change it or you can stop. So Value my, for money. What a shock. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, But what I do think, and this is the serious point, is all sports – have a, a not even a moral obligation. It's not about a morality. As if it's an existential obligation. Look hard at where you want your fat fans to come from and who you want them to be 5, 10, 15 years from hence and start planning for that. Now, Rog, I wouldn't go quite as far. I think there are, you know, I think most administrators of which you've been one in the game and you were forward thinking. That was kicked and, out. They didn't, they didn't were, like my thinking. And, and they didn't like it. If sport can learn anything, from the last five, 10 years is for all of those guys who are the administrators. And it, as we talk about golf, I consider many of them to be personal friends through working. I think if this hasn't been the wake up call and maybe it's too late, maybe it isn't. It's too late. It's too late. But I, I hope still that the golf can find its feet. I, because for me, if the casualty is the Ryder Cup, that was the best calling card that golf had to speak yeah. to the broader public. And if that's you, you know, you know, you know what I was thinking? Uh, I, I listened again to Eddie Hearn's podcast with us. You know, Barry, Barry, uh, we have, we're having a, Eddie. We'll, we'll get Eddie if we can persuade yeah, sorry, him. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Because you know what I was thinking about Eddie because of the memes. You know, uh, how'd you fluke that one? You know, that, all that kind of thing that you guys. This is what you when you say about you know we need to bring the rock star in and we need. To, it's not necessarily about physically making the event like an American Super Bowl or, or a, a car park at the NFL, most of this shit is happening digitally with the kind of stuff I'm, I'm, I'm referring to. So, so Barry Hearn, and what was he saying? And some of the things that he said there, I picked up the second time and I started reflecting on it. You know, what is it, what's the sports he's, he's got involved in? I would call them all general leisure time of the normal person activities, including fishing, including 10-pin bowling, snooker and darts, and um, everybody can have a fight. So he's into fighting. Because why does he do that? And then he talked about, you know, the blue collar because there's a lot of them and they're good people. I tend to think that that was a, a missed hidden gem of wisdom there, such that I, I, I thought about it and I thought about it. And it does come back to what I think is a, a cultural connection that I tend to see not many sports going to be able to sustain going forward. You know, football, soccer is going to be fine because everybody runs about with a ball all over the world globally. 
American football is what it is and it's culturally important also at college uh, level, high school level. Basketball is a cultural connection with black urban way of being. Baseball hasn't got any of that. That's representing a dying generation and a dying idea of America that no longer exists. Cricket has got Asia, so that's fine. And then I start thinking of the ones we're referring to. Golf doesn't have any cultural connection. Who plays golf in today's modern world? Apart from you take your girl or your partner to Top Golf, you have a laugh with a couple of swings, somebody's good at it, somebody's, for me, got a chance to substitute the role that 10 pin bowling had in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And then if tech allows you to bring it in to become close to the pros, I think that gives golf a chance. Tennis, I'm afraid to say, and maybe this takes us on to talk about Wimbledon, tennis, I'm afraid to say, I think is screwed. Is screwed because it doesn't have any cultural connection. It is mummy and daddy taking middle class Johnny to play tennis in a world where maybe once that was okay because Johnny didn't have not a lot more else to do, but now he does. And even if I let you say that racket sports are going to still have a role, they're getting their lunch eaten by paddle. I wind that tape forward 10 years, like I said you need to do, for tennis, and I see an absolute desert, Giles, an absolute desert, because there's no cultural connection. The only sports that will survive are the ones that are culturally connected to the normal person's leisure time that they spend with their friends and their partners. So let me ask you, we, we're we all from a, a, a country, the, the United Kingdom, which has its fair share of heritage events, traditional events, because of history and where Britain sat in the 1850s at a particular moment in time when it was a, a, an epicentre of, of, of a, a part of the world that's long gone, but it, it's where it, where it all came from. So do you think, therefore, that events like the Derby, the, the horse race, you know, which has been going for... Horse racing is only for betting, Giles. The, the yeah. idea that is for the Queen and all that, that's, again, yeah. middle-class um, bollocks. It's for the betting. I'm not saying you're middle-class. I'm saying it's the horse racing exists for betting. I understand Tennis, that, by it's... the way, and CVC is a betting play. Nobody says it, but it's a betting play. So but maybe, Rog, maybe that's what I was trying to get at, which was racing has existed because betting has allowed it to continue. But it's still also, by by dint of that finance coming in through through gambling, is that great events like the Cheltenham Festival, where seemingly half of Ireland come over and drink themselves into a very happy oblivion and watch the greatest steeplechasers in the world take part in their yearly Olympics, right? And the same with the Derby. Three-year-old stallions that, once they've won go and spend a very happy life, not having to lift a finger, but maybe just lift occasionally their, their, their forelegs or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. But the event of the Derby still gets 150,000 people. The, the noise coming down from Tattenham Hill is still It looks bigger than it actually is. Because the actual physical event looks big, you get the idea that it's important. But in the grand scheme right, of leisure so, activity, my- it, it, it's not that big. It's just not that big. It looks big because a lot of important people 
of certain backgrounds go there and say, isn't this wonderful? They give themselves the idea that they're watching something culturally important. I have to say, in my opinion, that horse racing, the derby, the, the triple crown, all that kind of stuff is incredibly niche and it's male, pale and stale. There's no future in that, apart from being fodder for uh, punters to bet on. And that's the same for a lot of sports. You, you've, you've hit the nail. In my view, that's what my reflection was. I watched uh, Colin McGregor, a notorious documentary at the weekend, and I thought, my God, this is the reality. And the whole Wimbledon, boat race, Henley, uh, you name it, has missed it. WWE and UFC and, and Jake Paul and Paddy the Baddy they, for some reason, are being deliberately ignored by the sports industry that wants to put its head in the sand and wish they don't exist. And the the rest of the world is just laughing. You know, uh, it's just laughing. But I, I, I kind of get that, except I think on an anthropological sense, I still still think that human beings require the need for crowds and coming together to celebrate moments in time at a something that reflects heritage or tech, uh, reflects history reflects tradition so you know whether you believe in the, in the monarchy in the uk or not many don't many do doesn't matter people still come together to be together and i think whether you're going to a lord's cricket match whether you're going to the wimbledon final the french open an event you know the super bowl being the one event and i've had this in the captain's table of all 34 shows 33 people have said the event As they I want say, to NFL go to. NFL have got no issue with. They're safe. They're safe, right. Grant. But, but, that's not what, safe. but that's not what they're saying they want to go to. They want to have the brag factor of having been at a Super Bowl. People want to say they've been to an Olympic 100-metre final. However, obsolete we think the Olympics is being run by the IOC, people still love do, do major event do, status. Do, do you honestly think... And again, this becomes very general and, 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 and philosophical. Do you honestly think a guy driving a lorry uh, with his wife cleaning uh, the motel in Dartford and struggling to make ends meet gives a flying fuck about attending the boat race. or, or any, They're struggling to make ends meet and have enough money to go down the pub uh, on a Friday night and they'll throw a few darts and they'll maybe get around the pool table and they'll listen to what's on the jukebox. I've worked in these two industries, music and sport. It's all about can you connect with that person right there that's where the big market is. The blue-collar market, there's a lot of them, and they're good people. That's how you sell Bruce Springsteen. It's how you sell the Spice Girls. It's how you sell punk rock. I don't see how tennis is doing anything to appeal well, to these Well, how does Liv Golf fit into that, right? Because the, that's what, this, we've had this conversation. Right, that guy in Dartford, is he going to go and watch a bunch of guys getting paid $100 million no, to play golf? No, I, as I've said to you a few times, Liv Golf got it wrong. Oh, the, maybe their plan... Maybe it's not meant, but ultimately be their plan. Um, step one, kill the incumbent. Fine. Just throw money at them, kill the incumbent. Step two, pick up the pieces. I think it might be as simple as that, uh, Grant. Live Golf has got no product market fit. I told you what the product market fit is. You get all the good, good-looking golfers, the really pretty influencer women golfers, throw in all the mix, get the top golf uh, connection through motion caption avatars so they feel part of it. That's the future of golf. But honestly, I would love you guys, and, and you know I love you both, right? This isn't a criticism. I would love you guys to go around for a month 
with the eyes of a 15-year-old. Literally have the eyes of a 15-year-old and come back on this podcast in September and tell me what you think. Right, if we go away to be 15-year-olds, we're just going to come back and say, we hate you and you've ruined our lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, listen, we, we, are not, we are not 15-year-olds, sadly. Those, those days are long past, further away for some of us than others. But we've uh, we kind of run out of time. And uh, I, I didn't think we'd get to much else other than live this time. And this is a conversation... The beauty of it, I guess, is that this is going to continue for quite some time, this this debate, and it's going to be fascinating to watch it unfold. And I'm so grateful that I get the chance to hash it out with you two guys. But what, actually, one thing I wanted to just ask Giles before we wrap up. Um, Giles, the All Blacks, are they in crisis? Or is that just typical Kiwi being over overblown because they've lost a couple of games? Uh, well, I think at the, to the average uh, New Zealand rugby fan, and I've had the great privilege of um, spending a lot of time with many of them down in New Zealand over the years. This will be considered a crisis because I think I've said this on a very early uh, Are You Not Entertained show, that the difference between Australian sport and New Zealand sport when it comes to rugby is Aussies hate losing, but the Kiwis are scared of losing. That's the difference in the culture because they're built it on a tradition and a heritage which is back from the Invincibles in 1905 or whatever it was. And they did just small country, protect the heritage, never lose. And now they have been shaken. You know, the Irish performances have been amazing. My personal view is this will just will make them stronger. I think this will galvanise. It'll make some changes, I suspect, in coaching and, and, and all the rest of it. But this is a, a country that is so inculcated with rugby tradition that maybe this will actually um, do the sport some good because it shows uh, other countries that there are chances. This is fantastic. If only the, I mean, the Irish have become the bogey team of the All Blacks over the last 10, 15 years. And it's brilliant because anyone who's a neutral and you watch Ireland, you always want them to play because they're the best people after a match, win or lose, they'll always buy the first round and you'll have, friendships will be made. There's nothing better than an Irish sports fan. Never has been, never will be. But And therefore something mildly Corinthian about the Irish, who are in fact incredibly professional in their outlook. It feels like, you know, good old Paddy came in and slotted one to nine the old sheep farmer kind of thing. And that's kind of a nice, nice narrative to have. I think the All Blacks will come back stronger. It's interesting as well. Typically, the All Blacks used to peak two years before um, a Rugby World Cup final and then choke. They haven't choked for a little while now, to be fair. Um, I suspect this will get their house in order and we will see a final between France and New Zealand. And it will be one of the, I think, could be one of the great showdowns because France has all the resource, it has all the money, it has many more players. It's never won and it's playing on home soil in uh, in 20, uh, when is it, 23 next year. So it's not two years, one year ahead. And I think the All Blacks, there's nothing There's nothing more dangerous than, 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 a, than a, a tiger that's been had its tail nibbled and it's been well and truly nibbled. So for me as a sport, it's bloody marvellous. Good stuff. Well, gents, we have run out of time. Well, well well, let me let me just um, let, let me just come back on that a little bit because we can't mention rugby and a talk like that without talking about this new idea of the the world well, elite, club yeah. competition. <laughs> Again, that's just, this is all in the same theme, and you know when you read the proposals, you know the obvious question is where where are they going to fit this in? You know where are they going to fit this in? Um, and, and, you know, I, I was reading one of the articles and there's this chap that commented below, Alex, I don't know who the hell he is. Uh, this is his comment on the article. I think it was in the Telegraph article. 
It's all about player welfare and fewer games for these rugby bosses, right up until there's an opportunity to sell a new tournament to 12 different broadcasters. So I would suggest, Grant, your question is not are the All Blacks um, struggling, is will the All Blacks even be around in 10 years' time in a game dominated by clubs that are owned by entrepreneurs, just like the IPL will do exactly the same to test cricket? Well, thanks, Rog. So, we've lost golf, the All Blacks are toast, Giles. Should we start our own podcast? <laughs> what do you well, no, no, here's a good, here's a good up, one Rachel. to finish with. Ed. Uh, you, you, yeah, no, here's a good one. Here's a good one. Here's a good, a good, a good up, upbeat one, like like John Craven's news round or whatever. You know, and you know the end of the, the ten o'clock news. The, the local cat the, rescued from tree by fire brigade. Yeah. So the equivalent of that is the handshake and cycling. Did you see that? Yes. Right. So you you may not have seen it, Giles. Uh, two two riders at the the front of the the race. Um, obviously in the middle of amazing uh, competition. One makes a mistake and goes into the ditch and falls and the other one doesn't. The, uh, the guy with the red, uh, yellow jersey um, is the second one and he waits for the, the guy that was chasing him to get back on his bike and catch up with him so that they can continue their epic Homerian, if we can continue the theme of Troy, uh, duel, and they, when he caught up with them, he uh, they gave each other a handshake, which um, the reason I want to bring this up is because, um, you know, Italy is a, cult, a country where cycling does have that huge cultural connection. Anybody that's lived in France or Italy, uh, they will see people on a Saturday and a Sunday morning dressed up to the nines on their bikes at 7, 8 in the morning in the Lycra and, and the like. It's got a cultural fit cycling. Cycling obviously said its issues with doping and, and all of that. But this article was saying that this gesture, the handshake, may actually be the rebirth of cycling in the the, the psyche of the common man and woman. And he, he referred back to the same, you know, the swap of the water bottle between Coppi and Bartoli, which are the two great uh, um, cyclists of, it, of, of Italy. So um, tradition is still there. But it's not enough if you've not got the cultural connection. And cycling is one that makes it for me because we all got a bike when we're about three or four. One of the things that a parent does is teach the boy or the girl to cycle. And that's, a, for me, a cultural connection. And I, I agree with that article that I think cycling has got a very big future. Well, it's, it's an upbeat way to uh, finish, right, which is great. So I guess next week people can join us next time when you'll explain how the next step is to have social influences on bikes pushing each other into ditches and then having a fight over sh- much shorter distances. No, it's distances. already there. You just, <laughs> you just need to take them peloton into to put them into the same track as the Tour de France. It's not – honestly, I think motion capture and tech and putting the normal punter into these big events – is a major, major theme in the next three or four years. And it's what is going to save these sports and make them attractive for a new audience. And I forgive forgive me for being bombastic, but at the end of the day, don't forget this. This is a podcast competing with other podcasts that are really bloody good. So I'm not doing middle-of-the-road opinions. There is no value in middle-of-the-road opinions, just there as there isn't as being a middle-of-the-road golfer or tennis player. Go big or go home. You heard it here first. Well, listen, I don't know about you two, but I've got to go home, so there's my choice. Um, 
Gentlemen, thank you as ever. <laughs> Always good fun to get a chance to chat. This was uh, this was particularly good fun. Um, and thanks to you for listening. Uh, we appreciate you doing so. I haven't said this for a while, but I'll remind you, if you do get a moment to rate and review the podcast in iTunes, that always helps us. We will be back with another uh, podcast in the not-too-distant future. In the meantime, if you don't follow us on Twitter, you can do that very easily. You'll find us at Entertained R. That's the word, A-R-E. You'll find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H. You'll find me, Giles Morgan, at GilesMorgan71. And you'll find myself at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Gentlemen, until next time. 